we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode uh, 211 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're doing something a little bit different this time. We're doing a live stream, which is hopefully hitting Facebook and hitting um, YouTube as we speak. Uh, all the technology set up. It's really just a matter of whether the internet connection holds up. So hopefully it does. Um, basically, whatever we talk about will end up in our usual podcast. So if it all turns to shit, as they say, um, on, the, <laughs> on, the, on the feed, then just listen to the normal uh, podcast at Iron Fist Velvet Glove. If you're new to our humble podcast, we – well, this is obviously an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics. We do it every week. It's normally a panel of us. We sometimes have a guest, but it's just our normal panel. I am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott, the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. G'day, Scott. And also, of course, Paul, the 12th Man. Greetings, Earthlings. There you go. You know, I it's come him. to you in peace. He's looking a bit haggard because I just learned that, he, that um, Paul watched the entire um, Federer and Jokovic final and he's got to catch up on some sleep. Yeah, but I caught up last night, so I'm good. Well done. Yep. Right. Uh, yes, we talk about news, politics, sex and religion and uh, all that sort of stuff. We've got a variety of different topics and uh, wish, us luck, wish us luck as we go through them. Oh, language warning. Occasionally we drop you know, a swear word here and there, not too often, but we are going to be talking about the state well, the LNP in Queensland. And that, that might is, make us swear. It, it might as well, yeah. So, look, just to get us in the mood for – we're talking about the LNP state convention, so we need a bit of uh, <laughs> mood music for that. So uh, here we go. Let me just find this. Here we go. <laughs> One of these days you get sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheap shot, but oh, we it love is. it. We do. It's true. <laughs> when, you've, when you've heard – what went on at this conference. It's no exaggeration. There we go. Thank you. That's so that sets you in you know, you've got a feel for what we're talking about here. You're in the room. I, I think you're aiming that at me because I am a former member. <laughs> you are. But and you're, you're also from the country, Scott. Mm. You're reformed. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Four years of podcasting with me and you've completely changed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Not completely. I no. still don't agree with you on socialism, but yeah, anyway. That's true. Hey, um, right, this, the LNP State Convention, the leader is Deb Frecklington. And, and you know, I mm. used to like her. Mm. I used to think she's a moderate and all that sort of stuff, but she is a lunatic. I apologise. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, by the way, we've got to be careful of defamation here because mm. we're going live. Oh, that's true, yes. <laughs> it's no problem to call her a lunatic in the scheme of things, but at this <laughs> If we get to Clive Palmer, just be really careful. Oh, I'm not okay. saying anything about Clive. <laughs> yes. no, Clive is completely off the table. Yeah. Okay. So at the state uh, convention, uh, there was um, – she said she would consider a resolution which was passed, and the resolution was to establish an Office of Science Quality Assurance. So the former LNP MP for Hinchinbrook, Andrew Cripps, wrote the motion urging that a future LNP state government establish such an office. 
which would have the ability to ratify or reject scientific reports handed to the government. We want this passed so our parliamentary members can point to this policy and say this is how we are responding to the challenge of people with alternative views to make sure we've got good data to back up rational decision-making. In particular, he was concerned about the laws brought before Parliament by the Labor government in February, which seek to tighten regulations around farming and mining runoff into the Great Barrier Reef catchment areas. He claimed the science behind the legislation was flawed and the Office of Science Quality Assurance, if there was one, would be able to objectively rule on scientific advice handed to the government. And Ms Frecklington said she wasn't ruling out the idea. Well, she is the leader and she doesn't want to lose her position, so she doesn't want to be too radical inside the party, does she? Does this sound Orwellian to you, the Office of Science Quality Assurance? Exactly, and they're going to handpick their people that are going to sit on that and they're going to be the... mm, Probably not scientists. Exactly. So how the (laughs) hell are they going to quality assure anything that comes before them? Proper scientific findings have gone through peer review. They've, you know, that's the whole point of science. You publish, you have peer review, and you survive or you don't based on on what your peers, who are fellow experts, say about it. Wouldn't you think? Y- you would think. <laughs> and so, so why do they need some sort of special panel to, to decide whether or not the scientists well, are scientific if, enough? If you don't like what the scientists have said, then you need a special panel. Mm. But I just. The thing that gets me about this is the name of it, the Office of Science Quality Assurance. And this, to me, is so Orwellian because if you remember in 1984, the Ministry of Peace was concerned with war. Yes. The Ministry of Love maintained law and order. Mm. The Ministry of Truth concerned itself with news and entertainment. And censorship. And now we've got the the Office of Science Quality Assurance, which I can assure you is not going to be... you it's know, not concerned with science, science quality. quality. Not at all. It'll be concerned or assurance. with nutbag <laughs> ideas um, from crazies in the LNP. The, the, the whole point is it's been set up to try and stop the concern about uh, runoff into the reef, hmm. you know, because the scientists are saying you've got to do this, you've got to stop that. And they're out there saying, no, we don't need to stop that. So we're going to set up hmm. a, we're going to set up a, government organised group that's going to sit there and review all the literature and they're going to say, no, that's got no problem, you know. So then the reef will end up completely toast. So it's to stop any kind of scientific objection mm. to any kind of commercial project, isn't mm. it, whether it be mining, farming or whatever. Mm. Sometimes the names of things just tell you all about it in an unintentional way. Mm. You know the new tax cuts, do you, do you know what the name of the bill was? Uh, hard-working Australians keep more of their money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bill that was used to bring in the new tax cuts, the Treasury Laws Amendment, bracket, tax relief, so working Australians keep more of their money, close bracket, bill of 2019. It's almost Monty Python-esque, isn't it? it, it that's, I'm sure this never used to happen. This is such a new phenomenon where they, where they if, if we just call it something, then what about it work is choices? What we call it, even if the detail is completely the opposite. Wasn't work choices about taking away the choices <laughs> probably, of workers? Probably. Mm. It was to give more choice to the employers and um, yep. allegedly, you know, greater flexibility for workers. But what in fact it meant was lower remuneration. Yeah. Yeah. So 
depending on the source of the naming of things, you can almost take it to be the opposite of whatever they've uh, called come yeah. up with. So the other thing that's happened with the LNP, uh, Scott, were you aware that they um, – well, dear listener – We've been banging on about the influence of religion in politics for four years now. And <laughs> Scott and I were members of the Secular Party and stood for the Secular Party in the Senate, you know, three years ago. We're no longer members, but Paul continues to be. And so we've been banging on about the takeover by religious interests of our political system. Absolutely. And we've described uh, ad nauseum about, in particular, the Mormons in Victoria. We've talked about the evangelicals in Western Australia. We've talked about the the sort of the machine in New South Wales having to keep control by by not letting members have too much say and keeping the say within the administration. Well, now in Queensland, um, signs of this sort of religious takeover are well and truly you know with us now. So uh, what we had was the first signs of it happened last year when the Metro West AGM uh, took place. And a hundred unexpected faces turned up and turfed out the then chair, Lee Warren. Um, so her backers were completely blindsided, had no idea it was going to happen. A few days later, there was a Metro South AGM also um, uh, uh, took over where the sort of con- the usual forces were surprised. So this was seen as the march of Christian soldiers within the party. Mm. And then... Um, what happened just uh, recently in the last month was the North Brisbane AGM. And uh, again, a whole bunch of unknown people came to the meeting. Uh, There's a hundred new faces flooded it. And it was about electing a chair. And the non Christian forces this time were ready. And they had marshaled all of their forces. And um, so they had just enough, they won by one vote. So what they also did then was uh, so what they also did then was they they brought in a rule that said already uh, you had to wait 12 months before v- voting on a pre-selection, but they brought in a new rule to say you've got to wait 12 months to vote on an office bearer as well. So so this is what's happening. We've had um, Metro West, Metro South, and now Metro North with uh, just hundreds of strange, unknown people turning up that the regular folk don't even know about. And uh, there's a quote here from this lady who said, I've lived in the Metro North region for 36 years and I've been a member of this party for almost 20. I had to introduce myself to the room as your acting president because I did not know almost half of the room. Wow. Mm. Scott, did you used to go to meetings? I went to branch meetings every month. Okay. did you? But I didn't go into any of the exec meetings or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Deb Frecklington is, you know, they lost on this occasion in the Metro North, but they'll get there eventually. So it's scary. You can hear her in her voice, you know, Mm. how – I mean, it's not her fault that the party hierarchy – has threatened the um, pre-selection of those four members that still voted with their conscience on abortion law. Mm-hmm. Deb Franklin wanted to give them a, a conscience vote. She gave them a conscience vote and then after that the party hierarchy stepped in and said, these four people, I can't even remember their name, Tim's Nichols mm-hmm. was one of them. Mm-hmm. 
they've all got to have their their um, pre-selection threatened. Mm-hmm. Now, that is clearly a sign to the religious right that the party belongs to the right-wing Christians. Mm-hmm. And what that really scares the living crap out of me is that there is no way in hell that they're going to grant any sort of vote on voluntary assisted dying if they do, the party's not going to allow a conscience vote or if mm. they give them a conscience vote, they won't dare vote against the way the party wants, mm. you know. And this is really worrying times because Labor could lose this next election, mm. you know. And then if the, if the vote on voluntary assisted dying is brought before the parliament because you'll have some people on the Labor side will actually vote against it, it could end up dying a, a, a death. You know? In Victoria, when they brought in the legislation, there was sort of like a waiting period of a year while they were sort of getting procedures in place. Mm-hmm. So even if the um, Labor Party passed it now, lost the election, with a year of, of a waiting period, it would be open to the LNP just to then overturn the legislation before Absolutely. the first one was carried out mm. and knock it on the head. Mm. So it's, yeah, voluntary assisted dying laws are in real... <laughs> Peril. They it, really it, are in peril, yeah. Yeah. I had here on my uh, notes as the next item to just quickly mention about Scott Morrison and Trump because Scott Morrison came out and said that, uh, well, he's been invited to dinner and- Is he going to get burgers and fries? I don't know. No, it's full state dinner, I think, of some sort. So right. quite a, And uh, he described Trump as a strong leader who does what he says he's going to do. Fulsome praise for Donald Trump. <laughs> and I mention it uh, now as well. D- dear listener, uh, if you're on the live stream, you can put in some comments and we've got a chance of seeing them because we got a message from Daniel uh, saying, gentlemen, if you can see this, I've got a question for you. Influenced by the behaviour of Trump, how are you supposed to show love for your country? What does loving your country actually mean? I think you can still love your country but hate your government, mm-hmm. you know, which is where I see myself right now, I'm probably the most patriotic of the three of us, you know, um, not nationalistic, but I'm probably patriotic. Mm-hmm. And I do love my country, but I do currently despise its government. Mm-hmm. So I can understand where Daniel's coming from there because you're right, you know, it is seems that um, particularly in the US where they do have this very much hail to the chief style of thing, mm-hmm. I think that would probably be a lot tougher because at least over here we do have a difference between loving your country and your government, I think. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. And we don't have that sort of false respect that they, they show in America, you know, always calling him Mr President and that sort of bullshit, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people used to mm-hmm. call Bob Hawke Bob and they probably still call uh, ScoMo ScoMo, don't they? I mean, he, in fact, he, he just about asks people to call him ScoMo. He right? loves it. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, our sort of uh, level of formality is a lot lower than it is in the United States and I think that's a good thing. That shows that we treat each other more as equals than as, you know, a hierarchy Mm. of um, authority. I I, I think even John Howard, like I remember he turned up at uh, when he was opposition leader, that he and Paul Keating were at the same musical Mm. and um, they just walked up to each other and Howard says, oh, g'day, Paul, and they shook hands and all that sort of stuff. So Mm. I like it. Yeah. When it comes to loving your country, um, what does loving your country actually mean? I think even at a personal level with friends, Mm. you can love them and still 
Disagree with something. Disagree and maybe at times pull them up and say, hey, like if you've done something particularly bad, say, uh, you're not happy with what you've just and done. And we'll like always in, pull each other up here. But we will indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and we're very good friends. Yes. So loving somebody doesn't mean that you can't criticise them uh, when necessary. And this is part of the problem of our relationship with yeah. America is at times as a true friend of America, rather than just following them into whatever war they've kicked off we should have said stop this is this is not a good idea as a f- one friend to another mm. don't do it mm. but uh we haven't this yeah. yet so but look on the on the subject of trump somebody that i was listening to pointed out that he is he's an arch hypocrite that guy he he got into office by criticizing everybody and everything about the u.s government and you know and now he he's uh telling people who criticize his government that they're they don't love America, that they hate America, mm. but they're doing exactly what he did mm. to get into government. Mm. So yeah, he's a big hypocrite, terrible man. Yep. Hey, if you are on the live stream, send us a message, even if it's not a question, just to say that you're alive and it's coming through. Because I get the feeling it dropped out at least once there. So send us a message so I know that the messages actually work. Because at the moment, all I've seen is Daniel's. So, yeah, okay. Landon, if you're there, please say something. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't want to think that all that all those hours at the hairdresser this afternoon went to waste. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Scott Morrison still, before we leave him, uh, it's day 48 of the Morrison theocracy, as I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's particularly the case when we've seen him at Hillsong praying. Yes. Uh, He's with, a hypocrite too Houston. because, I mean, remember not so long ago he said, my religion is my personal private matter and, you know, mm. I don't need to share it with the general public. But when it suits him, he shares it with the general public and wears it as a badge of honour. So. Mm. You know, he's, he's very inconsistent on that level. Mm. So Brian Houston, a Pentecostal religious leader, was censured last year by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse mm. for covering up the sexual abuse of a seven-year-old boy, abuse that continued for five years. Um, the occasion was a Hillsong Church conference. Um, Oh, sorry, that's where Morrison was speaking. And the abuse concealed was perpetrated by his father, Frank, who is now deceased, mm. uh, who was pastor and founder of the Hillsong Church. And we also had the situation of uh, Liberal Prime Ministers John Howard and Tony Abbott being very public in their support for George Pell. So these are guys with pretty bad character flaws and... The Prime Ministers mm-hmm. of our country have come out in open support Port. and these people have the temerity to say that they're persecuted. Like, mm-hmm. oh, for goodness sake, when you've, you have you should be in the dustbin when it comes to public profile and the prime, our Prime Ministers are fating these people. It's really quite sickening that you've got this situation that, you know, and I couldn't remember the whole situation with it and I only read up on it after last week's podcast, but, you know, it's just... It beggars belief that ScoMo was down there praying with that man who was, like you said, slated by the Royal Commission. You know, it's just, oh, it's bloody crooked. It really is crooked. Have you chaps also heard talk of um, the possible creation of the position of a religious discrimination commissioner? There, yes. There is talk. As part of this new mm. act. Yes. yes. Yep. Do you know how much these 
commissioners cost us? About three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. More. Four fifty. You remember our old mate, the uh, <laughs> racial discrimination commissioner with the hard to pronounce name. Yes, yeah. um, he was getting over four hundred thousand a year for that so-called right. job. Yes. Yeah. Where all he did was go around looking for evidence that Australians were racists. That was his yeah. job. I think the Ruddock Inquiry recommended we didn't need one. Exactly. The Did Ruddock it? Inquiry yeah. said we oh, didn't need okay. to go that far. Yeah. All they said was you just needed to bump, uh, bump up the um, discrimination commissioner or something. What, what have we got? Have we got a discrimination commissioner or not? Just we have to, a, to include yeah. religion as part of yeah. the, the, their sort of yeah, coverage. Yeah, their, their coverage, yeah. Mm. That's all they said you needed to do. Mm. Anyway. Mm. I yeah really worry me about this law because it seems to have taken on a whole life of its own and Mm. Christian Porter, he's really... He's not even a particularly strong Christian believer, is he? Do you know about him? He's a hard one to pin down. Because he doesn't say anything that indicate that he is, does he, much? uh, Yeah. I'm I'm reluctant to look up. Dear listener, Mm. we have on our website a uh, secular index where we've looked at all of our politicians and given them a ranking and we've also described their religion if we know it. I'm reluctant to, to look at it and use up whatever bandwidth I'm currently using for this streaming. So <laughs> don't, don't risk it, Trevor. <laughs> but you can look it up, dear listener, and see. But um, he's a hard one to pin down. Sometimes yeah. he says things that are quite sensible, but then other times you get the feeling he's he's very pro-Christian he privilege. He might be just pandering to the I think he's Christian sucking right. up to, yeah. um, to ScoMo right mm. now. Yeah. Look, I'll just uh, zip forward to where we were, uh, if I can find it about him, because uh, let me see. Oh, Tom's. Uh, Tom said he's tried to watch, but it keeps stopping and buffering. Um, so that doesn't sound good. Okay. We may not have that many people on the live stream. But thanks, Tom, for letting me know. Um, uh, well, just while we're still on the topic of Christian Porter, he has said that he's going to bring in a Falau's law. Yeah, and that really scares the living daylights out of me. Mm. So he says... This is a... Contor- I'm sorry, I'll shut up. Well, I'll just say what he's talking about. So he said that um, the government's proposed religious discrimination bill uh, would include a powerful avenue for people of faith who face indirect unfair treatment. And... Um, indirect unfair treatment. Yes. But indirect unfair mm. treatment? Mm. Isn't it... You know, these discrimination laws, aren't they about direct unfair treatment? Mm. The whole point is it was mirroring something, uh, Section 7B of the Sex Discrimination Act. He believed it would prevent employers from putting in a piece of binding condition on all employees, such as occurred with Rugby Australia, that restricted someone from expressing their religious views. I thought this was a coalition government. I didn't think they wanted to interfere with the way employers and employees bargained with one another. Mm. There it, well, there's going to be a dispute. Like the sort of the forces there who are from the I, you know, uh, the IPA stable will is it IPA? Is that what I'm thinking of? Um, the IPA is one of them that they want that they want the whole thing very minimalist. Yes, so they're they're for sort of like uh, employers being able to do whatever they like. So the thought of putting restrictions on employers doesn't sit well with them, and they're also very pro free speech. So there's that sort of libertarian, free market, capitalist element that's not going to be happy with restrictions on what employers can do. So um, uh, 
Yes. So Porter said the legislation would include a clause relating to indirect discrimination mirrored on Section 7B of the Sex Discrimination Act. So he believed this would prevent employers from putting in place a binding condition on all employees, such as occurred with Rugby Australia, that restricted someone from expressing their religious views. He said, quote, This would provide an overarching rule that places limitations on what an employer could do by way of general rules that affected all of their workforce. If those general rules in an unfair and unreasonable way had a negative or what the legislation calls a disadvantaging effect on a person of faith. Well, when you read that, you think, well, what's going to happen with a gay math teacher in a religious school? Well... If you read that, you'd think to yourself that the gay maths teacher should be fine. Mm. But there's probably an exemption. There'll be there? an exemption. Mm. Yeah. A religious exemption. Yeah. Mm. So this Religious Discrimination Act, it's all going to be about the exemptions. Exactly. So it's, it's going to have protection for Christians from being discriminated with a big long list of exemptions allowing Christians to discriminate well, against Christians, others. do you think? I mean, well, effectively Christians because... But they'll have to extend that it, to other yes, religions. because it'll effectively talk about schools and when, you know, 99% of private religious schools are Christian, mm-hmm. uh, it's effectively a Christian sort yes. of rule. But we now have Muslim schools we growing do. in numbers. We have mm. Jewish schools. We yeah. have... I dare say, do we have Hindu schools yet? We may even have a Hindu school in Australia. I'm not sure about that. But I'm not aware mm. of one, but um, it could be. Yeah. So I've um, I made a little quote of my own, actually. The special exemptions in the Religious Discrimination Act will legalise discrimination by Christian schools against non-Christians. It will be like a racial discrimination act, which gives a special exemption to the KKK. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. There you go. Uh, right, back to the top. Uh, we have previously mentioned uh, Orwell's 1984 mm-hmm. and how prescient it was. Um, but I came across an article that talked about another book. Which, Brave New World. Yes. I Did saw you, the article, yeah. Yeah. And I've read that mm. as well in my teens. Mm. Along with 1984, mm. very formative um, books they were. Mm. So Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, 1932 mm. it was written. So 1984 was written in 1949, so mm. good sort of uh, 17 years beforehand, so predated. Aldous Huxley wrote another interesting book called mm. Ireland. Have you ever read that? No. Have a look at that one sometime. Mm. Also so, interesting. Mm. So in, uh, let's see, in Brave New World, just to give you an idea of what the story's about, far in the future the world controllers have created the ideal society through clever use of genetic engineering, brainwashing and recreational sex and drugs. All its members are happy consumers. Bernard Marx seems alone, harbouring an ill-defined longing to break free, a visit to one of the few remaining savage reservations where the old imperfect life still continues may be the cure for his distress. And um, now there was a guy called Neil Postman uh, who observed when comparing 1984 with Brave New World and it's a bit of a long bit, but this is really good. Um, Orwell, which is 1984, warns that we will 
be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity and history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us uh, so much that we would, we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, um, Orwell added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. Oh, that's such a good comparison. In short, Orwell feared that what we fear will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we desire will ruin us. Mm. Good argument that he was... It's a very good argument. Prescient. And you can see elements of both, can't you, operating mm. in the world. And, and, and not only in the West, but look at China. They've got, they're using technology and the lure of material affluence to, you know, to, to persuade their population that they do not need what you know the so-called freedoms that the people in the west at least you know some semblance of the freedoms that we think we have they're basically saying you don't need freedom we're going to give you mobile phones and nice clothes mm. and uh don't worry about it mm. you know? but they at the same time using the very best available technology to monitor and enforce mm. Mm. it's a scary place it is it's very interesting mm. Some of those old books had some good stuff. Oh, we'd, yeah. We'd previously mentioned Fahrenheit 451. Yes. Which was about book burning and the firemen, instead of putting out fires in houses, would burn books and Fahrenheit 451 was the temperature at which a book would burn. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, if you're thinking back on that book, you think it was the government who was imposing this order mm. on society, but it had nothing to do with the government. It was the society itself. People had mm. decided that books were dangerous mm. and they were insulting people yeah. and that you had to you had to burn books because of the the pain that they were causing other people yeah mm. and probably you know going back to religion again you know if you, you get these religious orders that will uh, without any sort of central authority telling them what to do will impose the most severe oppression on themselves just mm. because they believe that's the, the right thing to do. Mm. Mm. Right. Uh, I sent you guys an email. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but it was about TPG and NBN. Yeah, I read that. Mm. So here's the thing about the NBN, that there's a cross-subsidisation happens where the – if you were just hooking up an NBN to the capital cities and ignoring the country, it would be a lot cheaper. Absolutely, it would have been. Yeah. So uh, the price that you pay as part of the service in the city uh, helps subsidise the high cost of the regional areas. 
So what's happening though is companies like TPG are offering an alternative to the NBN in major capital cities of high density where they're offering, they're going to install their own lines in the ground and do fibre to the premises. Oh, really? Mm. But only in the capital cities? Correct. Only where it's in high density areas, yeah. where it's cheap where and affordable. Where they can turn a profit on it. Exactly. Mm. So somebody in the uh, high density area will have a choice. They could go for Big Pond, um, pay $100 a month and get 15 megabytes per second. <laughs> or they could go to TPG and pay $60 a month and get 90 megabytes wow. per second. So the question from listener Glenn is, um, you know, the NBN business case is based on a profitable – well, actually, now what's happening is the government has a scheme where they're saying to people like TPG – if you build your own private lines and you hook up people to your private line service, we're going to charge you, and you can pass it on to your customers, $7.10 per month per customer. For what? Uh, because we need that money to help subsidise the rural areas because you've taken a huge segment or you're going to take a huge segment of our, our easy money. Yeah, of the cross-subsidisation. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, so we're going to tax you for that. What do you think of that? Uh, I think it's fair. Well, you know, I mean, it goes back to the old argument of, you know, big businesses uh, who make a profit from all the public infrastructure that they don't pay for. TPG is doing the same thing, isn't it? It's relying on the fact that we have all this public infrastructure in the capital cities. That's why people live there. And uh, they're not going to pay a cent for that, but they're just going to skim some of the cream off the top. Mm. What do you think? Uh, uh, Scott? You want to know whose fault this is? Uh, uh, Julia Gillard <laughs> and that... Um, no, uh, John Howard. No, not John Howard. Yeah. Well, John Howard split the... John, John Howard carved up. Sold it. He yeah, split he sh- he Telstra and got rid of the he, whole. He shouldn't have. Su- he should have split Telstra when he sold it. He should have sold the retail arm and he should have maintained it the uh, wholesale arm in public ownership, but he didn't. However. What did Julia do? Well, Julia negotiated with what's-his-name, the guy from Tamworth. What was his name? Oh, the, yeah. The rural independent. The independent member yeah, for yeah, New England. Yeah, forgot his name. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll come to It'll me. come to me later. Um, you know, she negotiated with him and part of the whole point that got her into the office was that he said that he wanted the NBN rolled out into the rural areas and first. He got it. Now, you can't keep the Tories out of office forever. So when the Tories would have got into office, had she have rolled out the NBN the way she originally planned to do that, they would have covered most of the city areas and they would have had them all up and running. Mm. How many of us around this table honestly believe the National Party would have sat there and said, yeah, that's okay, Tony, we can have second-class broadband out in the bush as long as you've got super-fast broadband in the city? No. No. They wouldn't have taken that. You know, so it was their fault entirely because had they rolled out in the cities first, they would have had a profitable mm. NBN that mm. would have been able to generate profits that would have subsidised the loss-making yep. areas in the, in That's the bush. Right. So, I mean, I think we all agree that people in the bush damn well deserve to have the same level of uh, communications as Absolutely, we do. they do. They do, but they've got to accept that they had to wait mm. 
because the profit making areas have to generate have to be generating the money first mm. so then be then to pay for the loss making sure. areas second mm. yeah but as we as we got now as we've got a loss making area that's got fiber to the premises and then the profit making area has got mm. something worse and it looks like it's all going to be undermined now by tpg absolutely yeah but yeah. if they are taxed seven dollars ten per Will person level per month up? I don't know, but but yeah, but it only goes up to seventy bucks a month, and you're getting ninety gig, ninety megabytes per second. I don't think that's a problem. Hmm. So, I don't know. When I was thinking about it, I thought, gee, if if you just taxed, like we tax fuel, for example, we don't guarantee to people that the money that has come from that tax is necessarily going to be used on Road city building, roads yeah. in your area, no. like. It's spread it, it, out, of course. Exactly. It goes into general revenue, doesn't it? it? Well, I don't know if it goes into a, a road-making no, fund or not. it goes into general revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So, um, so yeah, we don't normally, you know, governments often just tax and don't say where it's going to go. So specifically saying where it was going to go um, kind of makes you think twice, but then you realise, well, if it just went into a general pot, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, you know, this is a private business doing a private thing. Shouldn't they be allowed to just do their private thing? But uh, here's my analogy. Uh, when I was a young lawyer, now this was back when I first started, which would have been mid-80s, and working for a city law firm, and there was no email at that stage. Faxes had just come in. The office still had a telex machine. Mm. So <laughs> that's how hell. old I am. Yeah. <laughs> And postage was expensive, but that's what you were using. Mm. And the law firms in the city had a uh, had a thing called DX, which was a rented room in an office with basically things like a post box. Mm. And you had a DX number for each law firm. So there was an agreement that uh, if I was going to send a letter to Faze Ruthening, I would use their DX number. Mm. And every afternoon, one of the... Uh, employees, juniors, would bundle up all of the DX letters, head down to this private room and pop them in the various boxes and collect the ones the next morning that had been delivered to our firm. So you didn't use the postal system at all and you just paid a monthly fee. It was a junior who used their legs and walked to that place to deliver all the stuff. Yes, and that was a very cost-effective way of, you know, sending stuff. Now... And I sort of thought about the comparison between that and TPG. Mm. But the difference was that, and, and, you know, if the government had said, well, we want to tax your DX service, (laughs) (laughs) hang on a minute, (laughs) what do you mean? But here's the thing. The DX service wasn't connected to the postal service in any way, shape or form. It was completely separate. Whereas TPG, when they're, you know, if TPG was hooking up this, um, private line and the only connections were people on the private line, Mm. it wouldn't be very attractive. It's the fact that it connects to the people in the rural and overseas using undersea cables that presumably the government's organised and paid for at some point. Not only that, but so, if they if they build fibre optic cables yep. along streets, yes. the streets were already built by the government. Indeed. Indeed as well. So, uh, so yeah, so the fact that the TPG is creating a private network, which it is then connecting to the public network, mm. means, well, hang on a minute, yes. you want the advantages, uh, you need to pay. Yep. So I don't have a problem with that. Mm. Right. So that was that one. 
Um, Still only brings it up to seventy bucks a month, which is quite okay. Yeah, so I'd be happy to pay it if it was on offer here for ninety. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, we got, got a message here from Dave who said, um, "Matic man here. One of you just pointed out the hypocrisy of Scott Morrison saying his religion is a private matter, and yet gets the cameras into his church. This does my head in. Why is this not a major thing in the media?" And why don't more journalists question him directly about it? Because it's easy enough for him to fob it off and just say, that's got nothing to do with my religion, my faith has nothing to do with my politics. Mm. And just, next question. And, you know, the next five journalists could all ask, he could say the same thing. Mm. Nobody cares. What's the thing? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what politicians say. Well, let me put it to you, Fist, that that's our job, is to Mm. make people care more. Well, we're trying. <laughs> one James Squire beer at a time. We're doing it, yeah. So, Would you um, like another one? Yes, please, whenever. Yep. So you're not able to sneak off. Um, no, I can't because I've got yeah, the camera on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, next item on the agenda. Uh, look, some things came through from opinion polls about Israel Folau and what the public thinks. Part of me thinks, should we pay any attention to what a public to what an opinion poll says about anything anymore. I mean, after the last election. Yeah, why not? Just for fun. Yeah, just for fun. Okay. So um, uh, 81% of 55 and overs, so the elderly, your kind. (laughs) (laughs) Careful. (laughs) Uh, Actually, what am I? I'm turning 55 this year. Are you really? Yeah, so there we go. 81% 81% of over 55s. You can, can apply for your seniors card soon. Can you? <laughs> 81% of the older folk said that Israel Folau chose to share his religious views on social media and should take responsibility for them. So it's kind of an unsympathetic opinion, 81%. But when you look at 18 to 34-year-olds, only 55% felt the same way. Mm. So that's interesting. Interesting, yeah. But look, what does it mean take responsibility for, for your own public state? What does that mean? I, I think exactly. It mean, well, it just it got to, I had the feeling they were unsympathetic mm. and sort of suck it up. You, you, well, you know my you view. made your bed, you lie. You know my view. I mean, I don't think, you know, employers should be able to dictate what we talk about or what we say outside of our working hours. But, um, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't love Israel Folau. I think he's poor, ignorant, sod. But, you know, he's entitled to his, his views, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mentioned pre- previously when we diverted just about the um, Institute of Public Affairs and how they're very much pro-business and pro-free speech and they're going to have a problem with this bill that comes out. Absolutely. Yep. Why and are they going to have a problem? Because be- it's going to restrict. Be- because it's going to restrict employers in what they can do with employees. Oh, I see. Yep. And they're also very much in favour of free speech, so they don't want any sort of offensive language. Well, I'm on their side on this on this case. Mm. So it's one of the rare. Mm. It's about the only time that we're in agreement with the IPA on anything. Because yeah, but there's one other thing where I think we're going to be in agreement with the IPA. So um, uh, because there's been talk about indigenous matters, (laughs) twelve million. Steady on and all. Indigenous yeah. recognition in our yeah. constitution. Yeah. And, dear listener, this isn't just recognition where it's like we recognise that Indigenous people were here before white people and, and occupied the land. It's also 
um, basically setting up an advisory body uh, staffed only by Indigenous people who can advise the government about whether something is a good idea or a bad idea for Indigenous people and some sort of special... Special pleading for people of a particular ethnic background. Yes, but more importantly, only Indigenous people seemingly allowed to be on that, in that group. And you'll probably need to demonstrate some sort of um, genetic lineage or connection to our Indigenous people. So at some stage in the next couple of weeks, I think we need to do an Indigenous episode. Oh, let's. let's, let's, Because, look, our listenership has hit nearly 400 the other day. It's far too many. We've got to to cull that down. There's one way to do it. Say say something bad about Indigenous issues. Yeah, but I was reading this from the the Rationalist Society said Mm -hmm. this. um, with friends like these, the Institute of Public Affairs comes out again with an extreme and damaging interpretation of a reasonable aspiration. Quote, proposals to insert race into our nation's founding document are radical, illiberal and a violation of all principles of racial equality. That's apparently what the IPA said. I'll repeat that one. Proposals to insert race into our nation's founding document are radical, illiberal, and a violation of all principles of racial equality. That makes perfect sense to me. And the rationalist said, just wrong and illogical. What? We have all sorts of laws and institutions that are not strictly equal. Think uh, homes for the frail elderly. Think schools for the blind. They may not treat people equally, but they are fair. I would have thought that they do treat people equally because you're giving you're giving a school education to a blind person. Yeah, so you're actually overcoming their disadvantage. That's not treating people equally. That's assisting people who have an impairment who need some special extra help. Mm, that's which completely we're completely different. in favour of. Com- completely. Yeah. And, that's, and, and, and we're completely in favour of funding whatever is yeah. necessary to bring our Indigenous brothers and sisters, you know, up to the same level of education, standard of living, yeah. employment and everything else. Yeah. But because they are disadvantaged. Because they're disadvantaged. because of the colour of their skin. That's right. So we've said, or I've said on many occasions... I don't think Jonathan Thurston's kids, because I assume Jonathan Thurston hasn't no, he makes, wasted his money, he's invested it. He's, he's made do, a few bucks and he can afford to kids live a good are not life. disadvantaged, not don't disadvantage. require any special stuff. Of course. But, of course, there's lots of Indigenous kids in all sorts of terrible situations who do. Yes. The question is not what's the not colour mention, of their skin, yeah. it's what's the, what's the content of their wallet. Like what's how and how, how far do they live they? from an urban centre yeah. where the services yeah. they need are available? So unfortunately, you know, the Institute of Public Affairs is correct. You know, it is correct. Laws that are based on race, of course. And look, it's not. There are there are elements in our constitution that are racist, and they should mm. be removed. You know, all the mm. the things about you know the you know paternalistic care of our Indigenous people, they should be removed and every reference to race should be removed and certainly we we don't need any more added into it. Right, yep. Do we? No. No. Yeah. I've just been a bit distracted. There's a a message from Landon Hardbottom. He says, the feed keeps dropping out. Fist must be using some commie-saviour equipment he got from (laughs) Venezuela. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> use the top-notch capitalist equipment you can yes. buy from Finland. That's right. Good on you, Landon. Thanks, uh, Landon. Yep. <laughs> also, Landon says, I'm all for binding conditions on employees. I want to chain them to their cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we mention at this stage our, our beer sponsor, Scott, for this episode? Yes, tonight we are enjoying a James Squire 150 Lashes, which comes from our, our third beer sponsor, Landon Hardbottom. Thank you, Landon. And uh, all our beer sponsors was Wayne A, Landon Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon Hardbottom again, Caitlin, Zach, Camden, Doomsday, and, of course, tonight, Landon Hardbottom. Mm. Actually, I'll do a quick run through the patrons as well. Thank you, dear patrons. Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Broman, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Manic Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Adam, Wheat Watcher, Nico, Andy, Murray, Melinda, uh, sorry, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Greg, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, uh, Glenn, Matthew, uh, Chalky, uh, Clinton's come on board. Good on you, Clinton, and also Alexander. Thank you, Alexander, and our non-patrons who do it through PayPal, uh, Dean, uh, Ken, who looks like Sammy J, was the beneficiary, Mark, Mr. Anderson, and Corinne. Thank you to our sponsors. You can become one too by heading to the website and following the links. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Yes. So... Uh, we'll get this sorted with the streaming and it'll be fun to do and it's nice to have some feedback and just um, be able to address things as they come up. So, you know, we'll have to experiment with, you know, well, I might have to tether from my phone. Yeah, that's right. That's good, Landon. <laughs> well, that's a good point on which to ask for more contributions so that we can buy <laughs> Indeed. real yeah. equipment. Yes, more contributions and I'll be able to get a, a sort of a Telstra data card and tether off it or something like that and we'll be able to do this. So Someday there you go. Someday you'll be connected promise- to fibre broadband. Yeah. Yep. Fibre optic. So anyway, um, so that was the IPA and... I uh, can't agree with the rationalists yes, on this what, one. what has happened to the rationalists? I mean, they're usually rational, but on that point, they're not very rational, are well, they? Well, they're very – that's standard left-wing position. Hmm. Like, we're the only ones who are left-wing. Who are not like that. We are. Yeah. Look, it surprises me how many, you know, how many pro- of these discussion panel programs discuss Indigenous issues. And as you know, I'm probably the, the, the most – the one out of the three of us who watches those programs the most frequently. But, <laughs> you know, nobody nobody questions the, you know, the um, the racist logic of the anti-racists, mm. you know. I mean, you hear all these people talking about, you know, as a woman of colour or as a person of colour, I object to, you know, white, white supremacy and racism and, you know, a lot of the rhetoric they come out with is, is racist rhetoric. It's anti White, if if I can put it like that, and you know I don't even like using the word white to identify people of you know European ancestry, but their their rhetoric is racist. Who was the greatest civil rights campaigner of all time? Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. I would have thought possibly. Yep. Yeah. And you know his most famous statement was, you know, judged not by colour of your skin, right. but by the content of your character. And that actor, and he would be considered. What would he think of 
of this sort of law. And in fact, there's a, a chap visiting from the United States that Scott and I glimpsed briefly on uh, the, the drum this afternoon, mm-hmm. and he 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 was given he he gave a speech. Uh, a Martin Luther King Jr. commemorative speech or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall whether he gave it in the US or whether he, it was something he was doing here. But, um, you know, he was also talking about, you know, people of colour and, you know, using the typical, uh, you know, anti-racism, racist rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, but nobody let, seems to challenge, yeah, the, we, you know, the way they, they talk about it. Yeah, we need to do a full episode where we can just lay it all out because people will hear bits and pieces, but we need to do the full uh, explanation and we will do that sooner rather than okay. later. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you Scott's disagree with us. Dark the, Emu, I'm yeah. reading one uh, yeah. written by an academic about mm. the Indigenous um, violence, Yeah. domestic violence. Yeah. So if you're listening to us for the, you know, you haven't heard that many episodes, dear listener, um, Cut us some slack and wait until you hear the full story, which will be a culmination of uh, things that we've said in the past. Mm. Right. Anyway, we're going to have to rely on the Institute of Public Affairs sort of element within the Liberal Party to fight this religious discrimination bill because we can't rely on the Labor Party, Scott. No, Christina Keneally's completely bowed out, you know. I mean, I know she's a Mick and she's a Catholic and all that sort of stuff, (laughs) but, you know... (sighs) Do you think she'd have some sort of backbone on this? No. Come on. The Labor Party's lost. You yeah. know, they, they really are. They, they've just turned into another social justice warrior party. Yeah. She told ABC Radio, we are willing to have discussions with the government and work with the government on a Religious Discrimination and Freedom Act. And, and we've quoted her plenty of times in the past where she's sort of been wringing her hands over the uh, behaviour of the Catholic Church in relation to... Child, Child abuse. Sexual abuse, yeah. Um, but she's obviously still a dead keen Catholic and yeah. she's going to be happy to she's still allow all sorts of nonsense you know, uh, privileged laws. And she still bows to the standard old superstitious convention, you know. Yeah. We have to respect these people because, you know, they've lauded it over us for centuries and, gee, we're not about to change that now. Mm. Right, let's move on to... An interesting survey, which was in uh, a survey in the United States, and haven't seen anything similar done in Australia. But invariably, dear listener, we tend to follow what happens in the states, unfortunately. And this whole Christian dominionism takeover of our political yeah, system it's straight is out of the straight Republican, out of, Republican Party playbook. Yep. Yeah. So, unfortunately. You know, well, they elected Donald Trump and we elected Scott Morrison, you know. See, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they did a survey in the United States, Pew Research, I think it was. Um, the question was, is it okay to refuse business to a person of a certain race or a certain belief? And then they've listed gay or lesbian people, transgender people, atheists, Muslims, Jews, African-Americans, six different groups. The question is, is it okay to refuse business to a person who falls into that category? Uh, If you're watching the live stream, I'm going to put the chart up so you can see it. And it's a frightening result. Uh, And it compares a couple of years. So they did the same question in 2014 and they've done it again in 2019. And... It used to be only 16% of people thought it was okay to refuse 
uh, business to a gay or lesbian person. Mm. It used to be 16%. Now it's 30. Mm. Atheists, it used to be 15. Now it's 24%. Uh, Jews used to be 12%. Now it's 19. African Americans, it used to be 10%. And now it's 15% of Americans say it's okay to refuse business to a person just because they're African-American. You know, you've got in here in the show notes, you know, civilization going backwards. Mm. I think you're right. You know, if you look at that in the five years, we have virtually doubled the gay and lesbian thing. Atheists have gone to 15 to 24%. You know, as bad as it is, the African-Americans have only gone from 10% to 15%, mm. but, but look, that's not as bad as what has gone everywhere else. But look, in, don't, don't forget the other side of it. We have achieved marriage equality law in Australia and in the United States. I know that, yeah. So it's not all bad. You know, let's, let's have a balanced view of this. Yeah, it's not all that bad, but in the US, though, I honestly believe... I mean, I don't buy this civilization going backwards uh, hypothesis uh, completely. But, really? But, but, I really? That's not a backward step? That it's gone from 16 Yeah, that's a backward step, but we're talking about the progress of civilization overall. Yeah. I don't believe we're going necessarily backwards. We, we certainly are facing some... Some trouble ahead. Yeah, Absolutely. but I just think if you look at if you look at the current makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court, then I think marriage equalities could be very much on the rocks over there. It could well change. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So going forward, we we have some some storms ahead. I totally yeah. agree. Mm. Right, but and I then, don't want to be too pessimistic. Like yeah, first, yeah, that's yeah, that's the nature on this. I am. <laughs> I, admit I I'm a little bit with the fist on this. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, the, this. These survey he numbers usually backs are, me, doesn't it? Yeah, I know, but these survey numbers are appalling. <laughs> you know, it's they are. They are people I, are saying that atheists you, you should be able to refuse business yeah, services to I, them. I don't know. Maybe I started this all those you know those couple of years ago when we were talking about the bakery business. Did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that something we started? Yeah, you gave people an idea. Yeah. <laughs> all those Americans that were listening to the podcast <laughs> have decided it was okay to refuse service to a you know a gay or a, an African American. Yeah. Oh dear, what have we done? Still in the same survey. Um, Percentage of people who will say a small business owner in their state should be allowed to refuse to provide products or services to a gay or lesbian people if doing so violates their religious belief. So um, out of all Americans, 30% agreed with that. Uh, Out of Republicans, it was 47%. Mm. So, wow, there we go. Mm. I'm going to just test with my phone and change my connection. So I'll, I'll edit this out, dear listener. Is that but, what's making the sound? Uh, it's because it's the uh, system dropping in and out. Mm. So let me just try for a little bit. <laughs> dear listener, I've just um, connected tethering off my phone to see whether the that connection gives us a better, more stable experience as an experiment for later on. So I'll run that for a few minutes and see what happens. Mm. Right. So, yeah, so that's frightening um, what's happening there. In other news, I've often complained about the baby boomers, mm. and the good news is they've won Un- an award. Unfairly, I mm. should add. The good news is they've won an award. Uh, an award ceremony for the most annoying generation was won by baby boomers. <laughs> but it's been marred by controversy after the millennials were not given a single participation trophy. Oh, poor little babies. 
The millennials were reportedly furious, saying they tried their best and deserved at least a certificate or ribbon. It's been my lifelong dream since last week to win this award. I'm so disappointed, a spokesperson for the millennials said. A spokesperson for the boomers said they would store the trophy in a spare room in the holiday house. <laughs> you know, the room down, the second hallway, the one with the little ensuite. Spokesperson for the boomers said they were not precious about the trophy and would be willing to rent it out to millennials for $1,850 a week. Generation X were totally ignored. So there we go. On the topic of boomers, uh, millennials look out because those guys are going to screw you again, this time over private private health insurance because there's a problem in that you guys are bailing out. You're not entering the private health insurance system. And uh, actually, I'm just going to transition that across. You're not entering the private health insurance system and so it's just uh, full of boomers who – want really expensive operations like and their own replacements and all that yeah, sort of thing. And yeah. their own um, premiums are not enough to keep the system going. So somehow or another, they're going to force you into it, like it or not. Don't look at me. Right. I've, I've never had private health insurance in my life. <laughs> You're sitting across from me. I can't help but look at you. <laughs> no, I just I was talking about this with Paul on the way over here tonight. And I honestly believe if you Tote up everything you have to pay. If you have to tote up what you've got to pay on private health insurance plus what you've got to pay on Medicare, that should be looked at your total insurance premium for the year. Now, honestly, it just doesn't make any economic sense to have some of us off in private health insurance and others of us not. I honestly believe we'd be better off doubling the private the uh, Medicare levy and then just watching all these all these private hospitals drop off the perch and the government goes in and mm. buys them, re-employs all the staff as state government owned and, and employed people. But they just have to operate on Medicare pricing. Yeah. Absolutely, they do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We should do us we should do a half a show again on on private health. There, there, and was, explain there was a the mention of, of this on the news this afternoon and, and one person was saying that uh, as an example of us being overcharged as a national community. She said something like a stent and we are paying, I forget what the figure was, but it was multiple times the amount that people in New Zealand pay for exactly the same item mm. for a manufactured stent. Yep. Uh, and drugs are the same. We're overcharged for drugs rather than using generics. Mm. Uh, there's a whole range of things where we're being, we're being taken to the cleaners. Our health system's got some serious problems, but it's being held up at the moment as being fantastic. But it's got serious flaws. And I was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing the principal of like King's College or Scots College or something, and it was talking about about private schools. And mm. and and the interviewer, I think it might have been on God Forbid, where Richard Carlton was saying, well, why should public money be going to your school if people are wanting to have a private school experience, you should be just surviving on your private school fees. You shouldn't be getting any government money at all. Mm. And he said, oh, well, the uh, the private health system uh, is wonderful and it works beautifully with the public health system and it's just like that. So, mm. you know, don't worry about it. So, Yeah, don't worry about us rich people. We'll enjoy so, private so, hospitals. So his argument for private... And you private, plebs can slum it in the public hospital system. So his key argument for 
government money going to private schools was that government money goes into private health, and yeah. that's a wonderful system. Yeah. So the same applies. Yeah, very dodgy logic. Yeah, there. it was. So yeah, right. We haven't now. Good news, dear listener, and good news, dear stream watchers. If you've any of you are left, uh, I'm getting a lovely green signal now that I'm tethering off my phone. So using the Optus network and tethering off my phone is giving us a lovely stable signal. Nice plug for Optus. Well, here's the thing. I don't have that much data left on my monthly plan and I'm going to have to turn this off soon. You'll have to so, ask Mrs. Fist so to we're, share hers. We're, we're going to have to look at some means of funding, uh, some sort of wireless uh, data connection, and this well, is going to work quite nicely, I think. pay 40 bucks yeah. a month with yeah. your data thing, with your yeah. Optus thing, you can get 40, 40 gig a month. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to do the calculations to see how much data it's using. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy says, oh, it seems to be working fine now. So, Jimmy, you'll be, you'll be hearing our conversation now and know why. So, yeah. <laughs> I have another idea. If yeah. the beer sponsors, if we could increase beer sponsors, we could drink more beer yeah. and we could take the empties down to one of those machines <laughs> that you feed it in and you get money out. Yeah, you don't get enough. So, so dear listener, this is going to be a success, but it is going to require me to – uh, to use some sort of um, mobile data plan, which yeah can be done. So you can tether it to so, my phone yeah, if you like, because so, I've got forty gig a month. Have you got okay? So get op- ready. There's um, an offer. Start yeah, because I'm going to stop <laughs> on this. So okay, if you if you're on the stream, there's going to be a little of a pause here because <laughs> well, I'm going to disconnect because I'm seriously low on data because of that trip down the coast. So. I'm going to disconnect from my phone and then search for yours. Is that okay? Yeah, I've just got to wait until it fires up, that's all. Okay. So, so dear listener, uh, there we go. That's that's good news. That's going to be a success. Very good news. Um, We haven't spoken about sex lately on this. Shall we? Mm. A woman with a disability uh, won National Disability Insurance Scheme funding for a sex therapist in a precedent-setting case. The applicant, who lives with multiple sclerosis, applied for sex therapy for sexual release to be covered in her NDIS plan, but was refused. She appealed to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, who decided in her, which decided in her favour. The minister for the NDIS, speaking of internet connections, Stuart Robert, remember the guy who, like, had a bill for something like $18,000 in internet connections? Yeah. Is in charge of the NDIS, yeah. and um, we were paying for his yeah. uh, quite high internet. We were usage. Now I'm about to swap to Scott's internet usage, <laughs> and crikey, Scott, the Wi-Fi password—that's a tough one. So oh, it's just the thing that came up with yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Bear with me one second. Uh, I'm going to disconnect my phone, and I'm going to look for yours, Scott. So where were we? So sex. we're on the topic of sex. We were, and it looks like we're going for a long one. <laughs> so what do you reckon? Um, I th- somebody I think, with multiple sclerosis wants good for her. So do I. Yeah, she had a partner and uh, they were both on camera um, for a, a piece on the, on, the, on the topic, on the item. And I thought, well, good for them. You know, why, why shouldn't they mm. uh, access their whatever benefits they're entitled to yep. to make their lives more satisfying for them personally? Why shouldn't they yep. in any way that? You know, they choose. Yep. See, Stuart Robert is just, he says that uh, it's not in line with community expectations. Bullshit. But when you're a religious nutter, that <laughs> your community 
his community expectations are quite different. So when yeah. people say it's rude to ask what a politician's religious belief is, well, it's not rude when these sorts of decisions are clearly made, yes. whether they say it or not, yeah. based on that sort of factor. Like he's just applying his he's nutty being philosophy. He's just yes. really? Yeah. So um, I thought we left that behind us in the 20th century. Yeah. One would have thought so. Yep. Yep. I mean, the NDIS has said they're going to appeal the decision, but mm. to wait and see. There's a bit of blowback about uh, your thoughts on nuclear deterrence, talk mm-hmm. man. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I, I expected s- that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you want us to arm, you know. <laughs> but here's a couple of. Uh, Thoughts just on that topic, which came from somebody speaking on the John Menadue blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave three arguments, just fast-forwarding to the second. Um, secondly, White's arguments, and that was the guy that you were sort of supporting. White, in yeah. the, you know, uh, his arguments boost the deeply flawed notion of nuclear deterrence, the myth that these weapons de- deter acts of aggression. He says China could use the threat of a nuclear attack to blackmail Australia. However, history doesn't support this theoretical possibility. Translating a nuclear threat to actual military advantage has proven far more complex than a simple win to the player with the most obscenely destructive weapons. If it were so simple, the US would have won in Vietnam, Iraq and Afghanistan. The USSR would have won in Afghanistan, Argentina, and Argentina would not have invaded the Falklands. And the list goes on. Like, that's good points. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, but it's working for North Korea, isn't it? No, it's, it's a deterrence in that deterrence against America. Somebody attacking yes, the country, exactly. Yes. But in terms of a country offensively invading as using a nuclear weapon, that's what we're talking about. Yes, here. but Australia wouldn't be using it as a an offensive weapon. It would be purely defensive. It would be if you attack us, but we no, have the no, means no, to inflict. No, no but your argument you. was that. China would use it offensively mm. against us, so we would just throw our hands up and give in. Well, we might if and, we didn't have any way of and, resisting them. And, and the, what they're saying is that if you use that theory, then, you know, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, mm. they didn't throw their hands up and the US didn't no, drop a didn't. nuclear bomb on no, them. because the US because knew the, that dropping a nuclear bomb on the Vietnamese would be totally un, unacceptable by the yeah. world community. In China, wouldn't but think the, the world same. community may and not be a bomb on us. may not be what it is now. In you know, 20, 30, 50 years from now, it yeah. might be a very different world community. Right. Yep. Oh, we've got some messages, Caitlin. It's she's hung in there. It's running good on you, Caitlin. She says, "Trevor for prime minister." <laughs> they won't have me, Caitlin. <laughs> you're my you're my hope, Caitlin. Caitlin was on uh, being interviewed. I remember Caitlin was the one in Wagga Wagga talking about the. Mm. Uh, 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 fertility clinics yes. and yeah. there's more problems down there because more Wagga Wagga has got uh, extremely conservative um, yes. councils and community Indeed. and having a very hard time getting yes. She's uh, doing good work down so, there, Yeah, Caitlin is my hope. I'm hoping, Caitlin, you've got to be Prime Minister yes. and I'll just be... You can be and Deputy I'll be Prime an advisor. <laughs> I'll be one of your backroom advisors if you'll have me. Don't trust everything I say, though. Don't you know. <laughs> Okay, now just back to nuclear deterrence. Uh, The third reason for alarm is the likely entrenching of the nuclear apartheid, whereby nuclear weapons are allowed for some nations and prohibited to others. If Australia might get the bomb, 
why not other nations, even those who leaders we don't trust? Um, like Iran. What about Japan, South Korea, Iran? So if we can say it's good enough for us to have a nuclear bomb, is it only fair that we'd say to Iran, we'll go ahead and have a bomb because we've got one? Good question. Mm. So those were two good sort of counter-arguments mm. in the John Menagee But report. there's already a nuclear apartheid, you know. We're not going to eliminate that anytime soon, are we? We're never no, going no. to. We're not going to eliminate it, but that's. don't you think it's better that you have it concentrated in the hands of only a small number of nations? Including North Korea. Well, North Korea I don't think is a, is a reasonable country. I would rather see it completely I don't disarmed. think it's a reasonable country either, but it now has nuclear weapons. Well, yeah, I know that. But and yeah. some people would argue that's the very reason that the United States didn't, in fact, it, attack. It, it absolutely is the reason. It is the, reason. the nuclear weapons. And is. that's exactly the reason the North Koreans will never, ever give up their nuclear weapons. Correct. Yeah, but see, yep. I honestly believe that if the, if the Americans went over there and quietly sat down with China and said, look, we would not object if you wanted to annex North Korea and make it a part of China. The Chinese are not interested in it. Well, the Chinese that. aren't interested yeah. in it. But if you could... If you North could... Korea suits their purposes. It provides a buffer between the capitalist South Koreans and the Americans who are in South Korea and Chinese territory proper. Mm. North mm. Korea mm. is just a very convenient buffer for the Chinese. Mm. But, okay. But they the don't North, give North, a shit North Korea about the is North a, Korean people. is a defensive nuclear weapon. You, you were talking about an offensive Chinese nuclear mm. weapon against Australia. Well, they two have. Different, two different uses of nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the Chinese, of course, would maintain that theirs are purely mm. defensive as well. If we were attacking them with a nuclear no, no, weapon. No. I mean now. The right. Chinese would yeah. say they have nuclear yeah, weapons. And, and they'd be right. For defence, yes, because they'd be right. you know, they were historically humiliated by, you know, every other country in the world just about, mm. and they're not going to take it anymore. And mm. now they have nuclear weapons. Nobody, of course, is ever going to attack them again. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yep. why wouldn't it work for Australia? Because Australia is a middle power and I think that you've got the whole point. North Korea is much less than a middle power. Well, I know that, but you've got this whole point here that says do you, how many countries do you want to have arms with nuclear weapons? Well. And that's the whole point. I mean, I honestly believe we should have resisted a hell of a lot more harshly than what we did, the, the, the uh, nuclearisation of the Indian subcontinent. Could we stop it? I don't know. I but don't we should we have could. tried to stop it. Well, I don't think well, there was well, any we, way we were going to stop the we Indians. We could have put in a bunch of trade embargoes and allowed exactly. this access. We should have it, stopped but, but them by that. It didn't work anywhere, did it? Let's well, face it. It the, worked in Iran. Uh, it won't work forever. They'll get it. it. It was working. Well. Until the agreement was scotched. And apparently the UK ambassador was sacked because he said, you know why the US kiboshed the Iran deal was because out of spite. Yeah, yeah. It was because it was Obama's deal. I heard that. Yeah. And they had no other reason other than it was Obama's deal. And just and that has such a real truth. But look, that's his it. opinion. And we don't yeah. know. Yes, but he's, he's the British true. ambassador ensconced in Washington <sighs> giving frank and fearless advice to it's, his own home yeah, and office. He, and he may be so, right, but it's still his opinion. And we can't Do you do you doubt it? Um, I don't know, to I, be honest. I don't doubt it at all because Trump is something entirely different yeah, to any other US president we've Trump ever come is across. He's ego-driven. Just Absolutely. about everything he does is about him. Exactly. That's the whole point. He came in, he tried to demolish everything yeah. Obama had set up. 
But look, if it's if it's working for North Korea, why wouldn't it work for Australia? You know, a few defensive nuclear weapons on missiles in submarines, be, Japanese be, submarines not, to keep you happy. It's, it's useful against America, and we don't need to protect ourselves against an American invasion. <sighs> America's not going to invade us. That's why we don't need a nuclear weapon. But they would invade North Korea. They have no reason to invade Australia. No, they don't. That's correct. They're not. They're not going to. That's why we don't. You could say the same about China, but you don't want to. No, I disagree that they have no reason to want to control China. That that the Chinese have no reason to want to control Australian territory. We are a resource-rich lump of ground that they would very much like to have. And they currently get whatever they want from us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But what if we? What if the tables turned and we no longer needed to sell stuff to them, and they still wanted it? Why would we not sell? I don't know, but, you know, the future is an unknown place. We we haven't been there yet. Okay. No, 12-man fanboys out there. I'm you with can Hugh just... White. I'm with Hugh White. Yeah, yeah. And Hugh White's point was we don't know what the future is mm. and America may not be there to help so, us. So do you, if you accept that we should have a nuclear future. weapon, then should every country be entitled to a nuclear weapon? That's a big question I can't answer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because normally we're about equality in terms of our ethical thinking. We, that we would say, well, if you're saying something good for someone, mm-hmm. that has to be good for somebody else at an individual level. Yeah. The same rules have to apply. So surely yeah. at a country level, you would then be saying, well, if Iran or Iraq or well, or some other tin pot country wants a nuclear I, weapon, good I, luck to them. I, I, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a pacifist. Actually. Clearly. And mm. I suppose if... If I had the means to dictate, you know, what the world would look like, I would f- start by removing theocrat- theocratic governments like the Iranian one and the Saudi one and a whole bunch yeah, of yeah. others. And, and you would do it by force. Uh, well, if yeah. if we had the means to mm. do it, yeah, mm. perhaps I would. Mm. Yeah. But uh, in the interest of world peace, of course. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, let's be realistic. Peace isn't always achieved by being peaceful, is it? What about the Second World War? If the Americans had said, we're going to achieve world peace in Europe by being peaceful and not getting involved, you know, it would have been a very different world that we would be living in now. Sometimes force is necessary to achieve peace. That's just the reality. Read, the, read clearly, Aldous. Clearly, it is. Aldous Huxley. Clearly, it is. Yeah, at times look, when you're in war. But you mentioned you know, those a, books a nuclear, before. A nuclear weapon is is just blowing your own brains out. That's the problem. I don't know how, but anyway, read Aldous Huxley. Because Huxley's as soon as you send one off, you get one in return. Island, okay, that's, that's, Island. That's how by Aldous Huxley. Read it, Trevor. Okay. Aldous you'll, Huxley. I think you'll you'll get Island. something from that one. Okay, it's right. not a very long book, but it's a very interesting one. Anyone still out there watching the stream, other than Caitlin and Jimmy? If you are, just send us a message. It'd just be interesting to know. Yeah. yeah. Is anyone still watching? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because we've got a lovely green signal now. This is actually working with the phone, so that's good. Yeah. Good experiment. Thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah. No worries. Yep. <laughs> just check that data plan before next week. I'll check it before you next week. You might need yeah. to lift yeah. your plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much data have you got on your phone, Torfman? I don't know. I only get a $30 a month. Um, yeah, you probably get 40 gig. If we share it amongst ourselves, we, right. we'll be okay here. Help yourself because yeah. I probably don't use it. <laughs> okay, You probably don't. We're going to check your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy's still with us. Good on you, Jimmy. Um, remember we talked about when we were arguing about Falau and I said, what if Falau had 
dissed his Nike shoes sponsor oh, and said, and said, and Nike shoes were the sponsor of the um, Australian Rugby Union team. And if he flowered, said, these shoes are just really bad. They're crap. They're I find I fall over when I'm um, uh, using them. You said, well, that would never happen. It has? Well, in the USA again, remember Colin uh, Kaepernick? I remember him, the one with the, the afro. The quarterback yeah. who took a knee when the, the anthem was being played mm-hmm. and subsequently Nike picked him up as a sponsor. Really? Mm. And they brought out a pair of shoes which featured an early version of the American flag. That has oh, been yes. embraced by white nationalists. The one with the circle of stars. Yes. Rather than the rows of stars. And, Ka- and Kaepernick came out and pointed out that the symbol was offensive. And yes, but that's Nike, a very subjective reading. Nike then withdrew the shoe. Oh, Nike are a bunch of wimps, aren't they? I mean, just because, you know, Ka- Kaepernick is yeah, it, uh, yeah. thought Kaepernick. it was, uh, you know, associated with white nationalism. Yeah. I mean, it was the flag of the United States in what era? In the, it was the revo- revolutionary, revolutionary flag. It was, yeah. the, it was the first flag of the United okay, States. With there you go. 13 mm. stars. In the days when columns. slavery was still an institution. Absolutely. But the flag itself didn't specifically represent slavery. It mm. was just, you know, slavery was a feature of the time, of the era. But, but it's a symbol that's been adopted by white nationalists. Really? Mm. I thought they adopted that. You know, they it's, crossed. Oh, they've adopted and, a few of them. Yeah, well. They, they, they're into adopting symbols. But who, anyway. Who isn't? Nike sort of took on this sort of social justice warrior sort of. Uh, As they do. Play. Mm. And therefore, when their key spokesperson for what is woke said, mm. hey, guys, that's not woke, then they dropped it. Yeah. So there you so go. These things woke. do happen. Indeed. Mm. Yep. Ah, what else have we got here? Um, in terms of time, I'm not sure how we're going. Anything you guys wanted to speak about in particular? Just the Anglicare thing. Yes, Anglicare. Sydney Diocese won't facilitate adoption for same-sex couples. Um, you know, this is Anglicare. They've come out because they do supervised adoptions or something like that. They've said the relationship, applicants need to have been married or in de facto relationship for at least two years. Anglicare does not place with same-sex couples. So, you know, this is, you know, Anglicare is an Australian taxpayer-funded service. This is from the branch that provides the services to Sydney, you know, and they've come out right and said that out in the open. So... Anglicare can go and get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this is their ad. And why should they be receiving money from the federal government if they don't abide by community standards, which were reflected in the marriage equality bill? Well, they don't deserve any federal government funding as far as I'm concerned after after actually advertising that they don't work with same-sex couples. But when the government subcontracts a function of government, which was my argument with marriage celebrants, Mm. that if you're going to subcontract that out to people then they have to do every bit that the government would have done if you'd walked into a registry office mm. in terms of the marriage celebrant. Mm. So if you're going to subcontract out adoption services, then anyone taking on that needs to provide the full service and should not be discriminating. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, it's I agree. It's criminal that Anglicare is doing that. Just mm. criminal. If you're watching the live stream, you get a picture of their ad. It's just popped up there. Mm. I'll come back to us. Look at that. 
That's worked well. Um, also, assisted dying, now legal in Victoria, mm. but Catholic hospitals will refuse to offer it. Mm. Mm. If a patient wants access, the hospital will release the patient or transfer the patient to another facility. Just push the trolley out the main entrance. Hopefully it doesn't reach the Canadian experience where they refuse to allow people into the hospital to sign the necessary forms oh, and transfer right. people. It trap the poor dying dears inside the hospital and keep the loved ones out. And well, this is the whole point. Like that Canadian thing that Trevor brought up to us a long time ago, it was absolutely criminal what they were doing. These people that had to, they were on the edge of death, so they were zonked out on pain medication. They had to wind back the pain medication so they were lucid enough to actually sign the papers. It was bloody criminal. It was really fucking crook. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah. Excuse the French. Yeah. Exactly. Excuse the yeah. language. language. I do <laughs> apologize. Language warning again. Yep. We mentioned Arthur Laffer and his Laffer curve last week, <laughs> and I was talking about Milton Friedman. Friedman was more of privatisation. Yeah, of, he was of, more privatisation uh, and opening else, up yeah. the market. Yeah, uh, including public services, ha- presumably. Yes, yeah, so he was into um, privatising water any- and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, yes. Mm. So power, water, the yeah. whole kabang. There's mm. people who want to do that here, you know. Absolutely, they do. They're all idiots, but they do want to do. Actually, that. I, now that you mentioned it, I've got a clip here. This is from a group called IFM. I've been waiting to play this for ages. Where IFM? What does that stand for? There's some for? sort of. Um, they're just a group of financiers who bundle together Institute stuff. for fucking morons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they missed out on some toll road project or some other public infrastructure thing that they were bidding for, and this person was interviewing the guy saying, oh, you've missed out on this infrastructure. Where to now for your group? Here's, here's what he had to say. What are you looking for now in Australia now that the, I guess the big, the big whopper uh, project is now not yours. Yeah, look, it's it's a good question. We're we're long term investors, so there might be a bit of a hi- hiatus in the short term. But there's a couple of opportunities. Uh, we, we'd argue. I know it's a long shot. Water remains in public hands. We we've got ownership of water assets in other parts of the world, and we've done a great job of that. We'd love to change the sentiment in this country. Great job. In what sense? <laughs> Privatising water. Of we want to. Did you hear that? We want to change poor people to drink water. We want to change the sentiment. Oh, change the sentiment. Which is what you do. You well, sort the, of yeah, you, he's you right. get enough sort of lobbying done. Yeah. You get enough sort of talk on. But it's true. Media. I mean, he's right on mm. that point, isn't yes. he? If you can bring the people's thinking with you, yeah, you, you can normalize you can sell it. them anything. Yeah, normalize it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, Mr. Laffer has been given the nation's highest civilian honour on the mm. consi- uh, what was it called? No, uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Arthur Laffer. Seriously? Yeah, for his tax guru status. Presidential Medal Medal of Freedom. Mm. Who, who, who got more freedom from it from those people? Well, I couldn't tell you, except the people that don't have to pay as much tax now. It's a funny name for that particular award, isn't it, the Medal of Freedom, mm. as if, you know, whatever the president, incumbent president decides is enhancing freedom, gets it. Yeah, have you guys ever seen um, The Newsroom? No. Uh, what is got it? the DVDs. I'll give it to you. It's a movie, is it? it no, it's a, uh, it's a series on, uh, it's an HBO series, uh, The Newsroom it's called, and it starts off with this guy that's a, 
uh, Ray Martin style of bloke, mm. and he's up there at a university question and answer thing and all that sort of stuff. And he goes into this tirade against another guy that's up on stage who's a conservative guy who says, you know, what what, what makes America the greatest country in the world? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, I have yes, seen freedom, that. Yes, freedom, freedom, freedom. And he, yeah. says, he says, you know, there are 180, 227 sovereign countries, 180-something have got, got freedom, and you're mm. going to tell these kids that mm. we're so star-spangled awesome because we've yeah. got freedom. Yeah, 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 that was a good clip. It's, it was really yeah, it's good. it's been doing the rounds on the internet for a while now, yeah. but, it, yeah, it is quite good. Good no. bit of USA bashing in it. Yeah, mm. but it's it's from America itself, isn't yeah. it? I yeah. mean, look, American Americans are a diverse bunch, and you know they're not all morons. No, yeah. I mean this guy was very he was very clever with the the, the writers were very clever yeah. with him and that yeah. sort of stuff. And there were some very smart, very clever, very you know, very, extremely smart people in America. Absolutely, as we know. yeah. They're not all morons just because their presidents are morons. Exactly right. Yeah. And you know, I I had a conversation with a, a young American chap the other day, and he he was sort of, you know, saying, "Well, there's Trump, there's Trump, there's Trump." And I said, "You know, they, he won't be president forever. You know, you can't condemn a whole country because um, of one, you know, blip in. The, oh well, more than one blip. You know, there was George W. as well, but more." But Trump is exceptional. He is really exceptional in so many ways, isn't he? Mm. Yes, <laughs> and I, and in all all bad ways, I have to say. But yep. you know, he's, he, he's we, not a blip, though. But well, he he's, is a bit of a blip. No, he's not. He's he's just the natural result of a declining civilization and culture. You're like, so negative, Trevor. But, Come on. Well, <laughs> well, what's more negative that that by sheer accident you can get a crazy. President he, is, or so then the system is so random, yeah, or, the system or is, is the system a true reflection of the society? No, and therefore, no, it isn't. We all know no. that there are a number of flaws in the American electoral system. One is the electoral lobby, which does not mandate that the people, and it's a you know a small group of people in each state that decide which candidate is going to get their votes. Mm-hmm. It's not really democratic, actually. It's a bunch of people who decide well, and and they don't have to award it to the to the candidate who gets the greatest number of votes, which is bizarre but hmm. true. But they have so far. No, they haven't always. Oh, it might have been one one or two very rare occasions. There have been back. occasions when they didn't, I, I believe. But look, hmm. that's an anomaly, and there are other hmm. anomalies. <laughs> Each state hmm. runs their uh, elect. System, yeah. you know the mechanics of it, mm. independently, and they're not all the same. And that's mm. why, remember, in the in the two thousand election, there was that thing about the, the you know the the holes punched in the better paper by the machine weren't yes. properly punched. I mm. forget the terminology they use. Chad, chads. That's right. Um, improperly, imperfectly punched chads or whatever they were. Mm. But look, you know, it's different in each state. Mm. We, Whereas in, here in Australia, crazy. we have one independent body who runs the whole election and it's done uniformly over yeah. the whole country. The crazy part as well is they do it on a Tuesday. Yes, well, that's crazy. Have to too. work. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, it makes so it very there's a whole bunch of improvements that could be made to the American yeah. system. Yeah. And in that video you're talking about, the guy just points out, hey, there's a few issues here. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He lists off everything that America's. Number mm. one end of the world, you know, in car- what do you say? Number of number of number of adults that believe angels are real. <laughs> the number of um, our prime minister is one. Yeah, I know, but you know, he goes through and lists them all off, and he says, "And defence spending, where we spend more than the next 
20 odd countries, 18 of which are allies, mm. you know. Mm. Anyway. Right, gentlemen, I reckon we've just about come to the when end. When you get on to Q&A, Trevor, I want you to put it to Scott Morrison directly, ask him, does he believe angels are real? And Would you do that for uh, me? We don't need Q&A. We've got this great little, we've got our own little television program okay. happening here. Right. Dear listener. <laughs> ScoMo, do you look- believe angels are real? There, yeah. I've asked him. Yeah. But dear listener, like when you're looking at our, um, our screen here and there's like our three faces there's room for a fourth. Like when we Skype somebody or whatever, they can appear down there. Um, so we've got our own. We're just bypassing the system and creating our own much superior version. True radicals. Yeah, indeed. So, hey, uh, hello to the beneficiary as well. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to see you there. All right, uh, dear listener, dear streamers, um, thanks for hanging in there. It's been a success in the sense that at least we know that the, the sort of tethering off our phones is going to do it, yeah. and I think it's going to work out quite well. And I'm ex- I'm excited. Good on That's you, good, Trevor. Trevor. I'm pleased yeah. to hear that. <laughs> and practice makes perfect, so yeah. you, it'll get better. Yeah, was- I actually felt a little bit nervous at the beginning compared to when we normally do. Just the extra little. Sort of, yeah, I did. Yeah, just wondering if it was all going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations, Trevor. I, was, I was pleased that you actually agreed to put your oh. face on the camera because yeah. in the past you've been reluctant. I'm a little private, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, any baby boomerish single ladies out there, take a good look at <laughs> Oh, I just blew a kiss to the camera. Oh, there's, a, uh, there's the man for Have we got a man for you? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. good. All right. Until next time, um, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll stream again next week and, and come through with any suggestions or questions and yes. whatever. Refinements um, for the podcast. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Until then, bye for now. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Bye all. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, 
you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.